And good morning, saints. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to Colossians chapter 3. The Lord has laid down in uh, the letter to the Colossians perhaps the most robust and unique and comprehensive Christology teaching about Christ in all of Scripture. I stand in awe of the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are now being told in chapter 3 how to live in light of that astounding theology. And I can't think of a better passage this morning as we consider the spectrum of emotions for our sisters this morning as to how we ought to relate and live with one another. Last week, Paul told us to put to death the sin that remains in our lives. He used the example of sexual immorality. That would be sex outside of marriage between husband and wife, man and woman. The scripture gave us such a helpful way of understanding various sins that we do battle with. Regarding sexual immorality, there are passions and desires that, that are behind and underneath our actions. We must not park our minds there. But he goes deeper. He speaks of covetousness. To covet is to desire that which is not yours. Or that which is forbidden. And then he takes us to the last step, which is idolatry. And you say, well, if I can't have what I want, well, then I'm going to put myself on the throne of my heart and make my own rules. That's idolatry. John Owen famously said in the 1600s, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. My youth pastor would always tell us that he did not want to be struggling with the same sin in five years. Both of those statements are very, very true and very helpful for us. Now, when scripture tells us to not do something or to stop a behavior or actions, oftentimes it will right away tell us what to replace that with, which I find very helpful. Such is the case in our passage today. He is just holding us to be putting to death sin in our life. Now he'll tell us what to replace it with. And it all makes so much sense in light of the glorious theology that we have been looking at in Colossians. So let's read our passage for this morning. It's Colossians chapter 3 and we'll begin in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if any has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you ought to forgive as well. And above these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we've spoken briefly about legalism. Legalism will present you with a list of things primarily to stop doing. In its worst form, legalism will literally suck the life out of you because it constantly tells you what you can or cannot do without rooting it directly in scripture. The gospel is just the opposite. It is life-giving. It presents a beautiful vision of what life can and should be. What we'll look at this morning is a beautiful picture of the people of God and why Christian fellowship should be the most desirable place on earth. In contrast to the sinful thoughts and practices that we are told to put off and to kill, we are now given a beautiful picture of how to adorn ourselves as Christians. The example has been given of someone perhaps working outside, construction or gardening or something like that. Clothes are dirty. We come inside. We take those clothes off because they're dirty and we put something clean on. That's the image that scripture is looking at now for us believers. In light of the gospel, in light of God's love, in light of the grace of God at work in our life, we take off what, what, what used to define us and we put on godly and Christian virtues. Praise the Lord. We have been born again into a living hope. In light of God's complete forgiveness of us and the grace that has been extended to us, here is how we are now to live with one another. There is a beautiful picture of a life-giving community deeply rooted in the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from the Lord. Now, there are five truths that are intrinsically assigned to each and every one of us as believers and as a collective whole. Pay special attention to them because they govern what is said in this passage. And here they are. We, the Christian fellowship, we are dearly beloved by God. We are his chosen people. We are a holy people. We are forgiven. And we are called to peace. 
These five truths are not only spectacular, but they unlock the key to understanding how you and I should live with one another in Christian fellowship. And this, of course, is not an exhaustive list. He begins by telling us that we are God's chosen people. It is so reassuring to know that it is God who made the first move in our life. This is indeed the entire basis of comfort that Paul offers the Ephesians in chapter 1. We belong to him and he will never relent and he will never fail in in his purposes for and in us. Intrinsic to this stunning truth, we have been declared holy. And we increasingly bear that out in our lives. The word saint is applied to all of us equally. It means holy ones. Because we are united with Christ. Paul told Titus in chapter 2. That the exact purpose that grace plays in our lives is to create for himself a people who are holy and zealous, zealous for good works. In addition, he tells us that we are so deeply loved. Oh, how we long to know this in our heart of hearts. How quickly we lose sight of it. We absolutely must encourage one another and build one another up in this beautiful truth. God knows all of our failures better than we do. And he loves us the same. He purposed to send Christ before the world even was. To rescue us. It is the Apostle John who said that we have come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. The specifics here given to each believer are a beautiful contrast to the second list that we saw last week. Fellow saints, we must rid ourselves, we must abstain from slandering one another and lying to one another. They should not be present within our relationships. The household of God should be known for its healthy and life-giving relationships and interactions. All of these words that we see are very closely related. But woven together, they create a fabric of beautiful shalom, peace for God's people. Watch what he says. This is what we are to put on. These are the the ways that we are to adorn ourselves as followers of Christ. We are, number one, to clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts. 
Our first impulse should be to feel the trials and the struggles of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our first reaction toward one another in particular should be to love and to support one another in our time of need. We should never be known as those who judge harshly. What terrible scars that leaves for fellow believers. Kindness. Imagine a community that majors in not only a kind disposition, but acts of kindness towards one another. Actually living that out. We wouldn't want to leave. The scriptures say that it is the kindness of God that leads us or brings us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that convicts us of sin and motivates and inspires and obviously helps us to forsake it. Kindness is a beautiful, beautiful virtue. Ah, humility, next on our list. That great Christian virtue in which our Christ-likeness is so easily seen. The entire Christian life is an invitation to die to ourselves. The Lord never asks us, never asks of us, what he has not first shown to us. When we think of humility, we think of that great passage of Paul to the Philippians in chapter 2. When he tells them to be humble, when he tells them to be kind to one another, he puts it against the backdrop of the humility of Christ, who did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of his own creation. He became subject to death voluntarily but not only death death on a cruel roman cross that is our example of humility where christ the creator of all hung naked and exposed and humiliated by human standards on that cruel roman cross the old rugged cross my dear friends humility does not fight for one's rights in an unhealthy way humility is not preoccupied with my own reputation or with my gains humility concerns concerns oneself with the welfare and the flourishing of others of those around me humility brings a correct perspective on myself Do you know someone that you would characterize as humble? That person, I will guarantee you, is gentle. And he or she is easy to be with. You feel safe with them. You feel seen. Humble people rarely find themselves in unnecessary drama or conflict. They do not lash out in anger. Fellow saints... We are called to be humble people. We are not called to occasionally be humble on a good day, but to adorn ourselves, to put on humility as a way of life. 
Speaking of gentleness, that and patience round off our list of virtues. Now, it is true that the hardships of life have a tendency to create rough edges in our life. But as we grow in the Lord, as we grow in maturity more and more, we become people who are both gentle and patient. When I am a humble person, I will be gentle and patient with those I interact with. I am, if I am mindful of all that the Lord has done for me, of the grace upon which I stand, how can I be impatient or harsh with those around me? I know how the Lord is gentle towards me. I know of his kindness and his compassion towards me. As I receive this and grow in this, the natural result is I, that I indeed become more gentle and more patient with those around me. Now think about this for just a moment. Relationships are key to the process of discipleship. When we as a community are spurring one another on in the Lord and towards love and to good deeds. We noted last week that discipleship cannot thrive in a community where there is lying and slandering and all that other stuff that he talked about last week. If you are opening yourself up to others who will hold you accountable and also help you in your time of need. Do you not want someone who is gentle and patient as you open yourself up to one another? I thank God that he is patient with me. When it takes multiple reminders and lessons in life to finally get it right or at least better than we did the day before. Now each of these virtues when put in place have a wonderful effect on personal dynamics and relationships. As always, what the Lord requires of us is not easy. There are action items now that he inserts into these list of virtues as we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is at once quite daunting, but also remarkably freeing. Speaking literally, he says, we are to bear with one another. I speak candidly as a pastor for just a moment. This is pure gold. This is gold. Having a disposition of bearing with one another. Knowing full well that you might be mindful of the other guy's weaknesses. But I'm pretty sure he's probably looking dead in the eye your weaknesses as well. We have so many differences and many factors contributing to the reality of the difficulty of relationships. But we are to be patient with one another, work with one another, bear with one another, and most importantly, to actually forgive one another of the grievances that we have. Now, this is no small matter. The Lord always calls us to a high bar. We are not to maintain grudges or seek harm or to harm the other person. 
or to hold their failures over them. We have been called to peace. And a part of that is to confess our sins one to another. And release one another of their offenses against us. But as always, he gives a backdrop for this. You see, it is not even possible for anyone, anyone to sin against me in a greater way that I have sinned against the thrice holy God. Because our slate has been wiped clean by God's grace, we are to make it our ambition with the Lord's help to forgive others. Now, I recognize there's a sliding scale of offenses. As a general rule of thumb, we are called to promote peace by forgiving and releasing one another. Above everything else, we top out all of these with a deep seated love for one another. As I become confident in the Lord's love for me, I am now able and more naturally able to truly love those around me. Love is not a fluffy emotion. Love is a settled conviction. Make no mistake, we are only able to truly agape love one another because God has first loved us. And did our Lord not tell us that by this shall all men know that we are his disciples if we love one another? My fellow Christians, when these virtues are in place and ever increasing, they will bind us together in profound unity. Unity is something that should characterize every single church and the community of believers that transcends individual local churches. We are bound together by our agape love for one another because God first loved us. Our willingness to forgive one another alone makes Christian fellowship a healthy place to be now. True Christian unity is not merely glossing over offenses or even the messy work of true forgiveness. Christian unity goes deeper than that relational aspect. Christian unity begins not only with these virtues, but our disposition to let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts. First, individually, so that can be realized corporately. My brothers and sisters, I simply cannot be moved when my heart is set on Christ. Remember what Paul just said, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The other action item that he lists here is for us to be thankful. When I'm so caught up in God's goodness to me 
it becomes really difficult to hold on to petty grievances with others. Do you see the beauty and the vision that Paul is casting for us? I was speaking with my friend Charlie Bale this morning. He's a local pastor. And he just made the comment. He said, you know, if God has our gratitude, he has our everything. That's really good. If God has our gratitude, he has our everything. When we are thankful and God-focused, other things fall into place. Oh, that we would be known as a people who love one another, who are patient with one another, who are gentle and humble towards one another. But these are not all just mere, mere acts of kindness, as they say. They all require us, watch what he does now, to be rooted in the truth of God's word. This is literally one of my favorite passages for church dynamics. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because it is the word of Christ that will show you how to love other people. It is the word of Christ that will remind you and inform you of the hope that you have as a believer in Christ. Jesus said that you are my disciples indeed if you abide in my word. This theme runs all throughout the Bible. Beginning in the, in the beginning of Psalms, he tells us to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. To delight in it. Revival broke out in the Old Testament when little King Josiah, little guy, rediscovered the word of God. And elevated it amongst the people of Israel. We are to minister the word and the truth of God to one another constantly. Obviously, this is done in discipleship relationships and friendships and Bible studies. But remember, when we lift up our voices to praise the Lord on a Sunday morning, we are ministering the truth of God to one another. We are to take all means possible as we rub shoulders with one another to minister God's truth to one another. Church, my friends, must be viewed as essential. The gathering together for the purpose of encouraging and edifying one another, of spurring one another on to love and to good deeds. We need one another. It does indeed get messy. And it it gets messy often. But we cannot fulfill the fullness of the one another's if we're not with one another. Now what fuels this ministry? What literally fuels the, the developing of these virtues that we have talked about? The last on the list, as we've seen, is gratitude. Gratitude towards God. If you are living in a constant state of complaining and ingratitude, lift up your head and set your minds and your thoughts upon all the ways that God has blessed you. Your life very well may be filled with thorns and thistles. 
We cannot diminish the reality of that. But beloved, we can and we should set our difficulties against the unspeakable glories that are ahead and the deep assurance of God's love for us. His unconditional love for us. The fact that we have been adopted into his forever family. There is a place at the table for us. Thankfulness is the key to developing joy in our lives. Because when we are thankful, we position ourselves to correctly understand life as it is. When God has our gratitude, he has our everything. Now for a moment, let us ponder the soaring climax that Paul gives. I suspect each and every one of us is likely familiar with this last verse. It graces many walls and people's homes and offices and other places. Whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It helps to see these verses in context. That sums up our lives, our intentions, our aspirations, our disposition towards what is before us. We do it all in Jesus' name, in his authority, and for his glory. How can we keep on sinning in Jesus' name? You can't do it. We cannot belittle or hold grudges against one another in Jesus' name. But beloved, we kill sin in our lives and we put on and clothe ourselves with the virtues of Christ. We do so with his authority, by his power, his power, his power, his help and for his glory alone. This, my friend, is what Christian fellowship looks like. I leave you with an example And an inspiration. Three years ago this past week, I received a call that no pastor ever wants to receive. The one of our own that we sent out to the mission field had perished in a plane crash. She had spent 10 years, Joyce, working towards the ministry of being a missionary air pilot. In a remote area of the earth. We all just assumed she had decades. Decades of service before her. But only weeks after her first solo flight. The Lord saw it fit. To promote her to glory. I've said this many times. If you don't know Joyce. Few people I know have clothed themselves with the humility and the compassion and the kindness and the gentleness of Christ as she did. To this day, I still hear testimonies from people that I haven't even met who were deeply impacted by her life. Indeed, she was a missionary in Papua, Indonesia. But it was the everyday interactions that set her apart, in my opinion. It was her mindfulness and awareness of those who were struggling. 
what she did behind the scenes that I, being her pastor, knew about. People who knew her throughout her career, her flight school, seminary, mission field, and so forth. My dear saint, you might very well at this moment be despairing of yourself. Because you look at that list and you say, my, I am far from what I need to be. Congratulations on being human. My ministry this morning is not to beat you over the head, but to cast a vision from God's word of what life and fellowship can and should be by the power of the Holy Spirit. My fellow Christian, take heart. If need be, resolve once again to plant your feet firmly upon the unchanging truths of God's word. Let the joy of Christ permeate and saturate your entire being. The testimony of God's word is indeed true. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Please give consideration to your life, your attitudes, your, your actions in light of these virtues. Your maturation and your sanctification will not come passively. You must lay a hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of you. Be intentional, deepen your resolve, but most, most importantly, build it from the foundation of gratitude towards God. For all that is true about you in Christ, may the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning and cause all of us to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? As you take just a few moments to let the truth of God's word, the power of God's word, the perspective of God's word to, to settle in your minds. Remember, I began by telling you who you are in Christ. Else it's just another moral sermon. Who you are in Christ is the perspective that Paul gives for how we are to live in Christ. The beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is very simple. We are all by nature and decision sinners. We are separate from God and under his righteous and holy wrath. The wonderful news is that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. The Lord Jesus suffered and died in the place of sinners, was buried and he rose again. When we turn in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe that he died for my sins, took my sins upon himself, and cast ourselves fully at his mercy, having faith that he is indeed sufficient to cover the, the price of my sins and to give eternal life. My friend, when we do that, Jesus said we pass from death unto life. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
for what you have done for us, for who you are for us, for the beauty and the power of the gospel. With your help, enable us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. That we would be mindful and intentional to build one another up in our most holy faith. To bear with one another. To forgive one another. To help one another. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. We pray that if anyone has not put their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.